Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. 45 years of broadcasting, I've discovered that the microphones work much better when you turn them on. So, Thanks for joining us this morning. Please join me for a brief prayer. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And may that be true for everyone within the sound of this message. Father God, let us put away our devices, our distractions, our cares, our worries, and dedicate this time to being with you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of what we're calling the Red Letters, a series about the things that Jesus said and the extreme importance of how they apply to each of us in our lives today. And my firm belief is that if we learn the things that Jesus said, we will grow to love them, which will lead us to commit our lives to live them. And in doing that, we have the opportunity to change the future of an unimaginable number of souls forever. It's a big responsibility, and I think way too often we take it too lightly. And we don't really always know what Jesus said and, and what he meant when he said it. So let's get started today. We continue Sermon on the Mount. We've made it to chapter 6 finally. We start in verse 1. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. Obviously, the world has changed tremendously in the 2,000 years since Jesus said this, but the nature of mankind has not changed one iota. And by the way, it's actually true Wealthy people very often back in biblical times would every now and then, sometimes quite often, hire or pay a, a trumpet player, drummer, musician to loudly announce their gifts and acts of generosity. They were doing something good and they wanted to make sure everyone else knew about it. Now today, the wealthy instead hire public relations firms to make sure we know that their world-famous movie star, singer, professional athlete, a politician has made a big, important donation, right? How often do we see this here on the news? Believe me, the TV and radio stations can't wait to rush out and spread this good news, breathlessly gushing about how wonderful the giver is. I've yet to see anyone in the media look into what teeny tiny percentage of that person's total net worth is represented by their huge and generous gift. A $1 million gift is enormous. Most of us can't even imagine that. But for someone worth $20 million or, or $200 million or more, it's just a drop in the bucket. And, and you can bet their accountants have already ahead of time set it up as a deductible donation for taxes that'll actually save that wealthy person a lot of money when it comes time to pay their share to the government. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this. I'm, I'm glad it happens. It's legal, and in many, not all situations, 
It's something quite beneficial for a very good cause. But Jesus said they better enjoy the attention they get with that today because it's the only reward they will ever receive. And in his eyes, we are in danger of trading all the public acclaim and worldly fame that comes our way right now when we do something like that for the much more valuable eternal rewards that God wants to store up for each of us in heaven. And by the way, just so you know, if any of you have that kind of money and want to drop a few mil hoping to uh, get plenty of publicity and attention by supporting our, our ministries here at New Covenant or my beds for kids, I have some connections at all the local TV and radio stations. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be glad to turn you on to, okay? And Jesus isn't exactly saying it's a sin. He's just saying it's not smart. It's foolish, short-sighted. He knows our human nature that we need we want some sort of positive attention for doing something kind or generous. And it's not just the wealthy or the middle class. It trickles all the way down to those making minimum wage. How many times when you're standing in line at a 7-Eleven or a Subway do you see dozens of paper awards with a big star or a big logo taped to the wall, each with someone's name written on it with a big magic marker, right? Millie bought a Slurpee and gave us an extra dollar to save the bees. Hooray! And, and, and companies and charities team up and do this because they're smart. It works for them. They know we all love to feel like we're doing something good and being publicly recognized for it. Those who make their living raising funds know that people love to have their name on a plaque or a brick, or, or even a little paper certificate displayed in a public place. You notice they never give you when, you, when you donate for a brick at the Balloon Fiesta Museum, you notice they never say, here's your brick, take it home and put it in your basement. No, they, they, you want it to be on a sidewalk someplace where everybody's going to see it. But isn't it ironic that doing something good can cause us to do something bad? Because most of us crave praise from others. It's in our DNA, but it can lead us to do good deeds for bad reasons in the hope of gaining positive attention. Sure, it's nice to have others think well of us in recognition of our good works. It's flattering to have an article in the newspaper or a story on the news about something cool or generous we've done. And maybe you could raise or donate enough money to have your name put on a big building like a school or a hospital. Yet, is it worth chasing after that type of attention if doing so risks our eternal reward from the Lord? The Pharisees were well known for giving alms, as they called them back then, donations or gifts to the poor. And they often did it, almost always did it, to gain attention from men believing they were also gaining favor with God. But this was wrong in so many ways. No amount of giving can buy our salvation. It's a free gift of God. And if we truly understand our relationship with Jesus, with the Lord, we realize it's not our money to give away in the first place. It all comes from Him to start with. So He is the one who deserves all the glory when a good deed is done. And therefore, He's the only one we should be concerned about getting approval from. 
we should consider him our audience of one, the only one that matters in the end. And Jesus warns us that our true test is the intent. Are we doing good so that we will be praised? Or even worse, do we make a big effort to draw attention to our efforts to be well thought of by others? That changes our good deeds from selfless to just plain selfish. Dallas Willard says, desire for religious respect or reputation will immediately drag us into the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees because that desire always focuses upon the visible action, not on the source of action in the heart. Jesus pointed out scribes and Pharisees do everything they do with the aim of being noticed. They enlarge religious symbols on their clothing. They like to have the most prominent seats at dinners and in the synagogue. They enjoy loud and respectful greetings in public places and being called by their titles. In verse 3, Jesus said, But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, this is a repeat of something he said much earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. You may remember back some time ago when we went over Matthew 5.30, when he told people to cut off their hand if it caused them to sin. Again, Jesus is using hyperbole to get our attention here. How in the world could we keep one hand from knowing what the other hand is doing? Okay, don't look here. I'm going I'm to drop this in the slot. And, and this passage should not be taken as prohibiting anything good that might be seen by others. It's virtually impossible to keep all your gifts and good deeds strictly anonymous, especially if you're in the habit of doing it often and with a lot of generosity. The only warning from Jesus here is against doing it for the purpose of bringing attention to yourself. And again, don't forget, earlier in this Sermon on the Mount series, back in Matthew 5.16, Jesus himself said we should show our goodness to others. Do you remember that when he said, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. In no way do those two statements contradict each other. It's called dynamic tension, both sides playing against the middle to keep us in the right place spiritually. I like to think of it as finding the right balance. Give, help, share at every opportunity, but never look for praise or recognition from mankind. But do so much, so often, that others can't help but notice. And if they do, be quick to give all the credit, all the glory to God. A lot of people are very awkward about this, and there's no need to be. It's one area in Scripture where I've learned over the years to, to become comfortable when People start to praise me for what we've done with beds or kids or our compassion ministry or anything else. I'm, I'm almost always, by habit now, quick to say something along the lines of, hey, thanks for the encouragement. It's so much fun watching Jesus do all of this and being able to see what he's changing in the lives of other people. Or 
hey, thanks, I appreciate the recognition, but I would probably pay these guys to let me help. The Lord is so good, and it's amazing that he allows me to be part of all this work. And you know, we're always looking for more volunteers if you want to check it out next time. The old Tom Sawyer thing works great. And it's really beautiful. I feel so much more comfortable accept, accepting praise and compliments for good works now because I automatically go right into giving glory to Jesus where it belongs. Now, it can still be tricky, and I walk a tightrope, and there are people who would tell you that I fail at times. I, I want, need to let the public know about some, not all of the wonderful things that Beds for Kids and the New Compassion, uh, excuse me, the New Covenant Compassion Ministry and other projects that I'm involved in are doing. And there are several good reasons for that. Number one, I want to shine the spotlight on our great and giving God. He is hands down absolutely amazing. 15,000 people put in free beds. <laughs> I, I, I want to lift him up and, and let people know that this came out of nowhere and he continues to guide and provide. I want to lift up the faithful believers who volunteer to make it all possible. We have 12, 15 people who work every week for free and we have about 75 to 100 who will jump in at the drop of a hat once a month. And I always need, want to recognize and thank the generous donors who supply the funds to pay for it all. And, and I have to be careful to do all that without ever sounding like we're bragging on ourselves, especially not me. Six, eight years, maybe a little longer ago, a pastor's wife really upset me when she told me it's not right for a pastor to be posting on social media about all the good things you're doing to serve. And Scripture teaches us to look carefully at any criticism we receive to see if there's even a hint of truth. I didn't necessarily agree with her assessment. I thought I was caring less about, could have cared less about any personal credit for those efforts. I was trying to shine the light of the good heart of the church and the volunteers with my ministry and those who contributed to make it all possible. But I needed to look carefully at how it's perceived by others. And since then, I've tried to be much more careful to be absolutely sure that if we're talking about doing good, that God is getting all the glory. Paul the Apostle set it all up for us when he wrote in Romans 15, 18, I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. And in the end, if we do this the right way, for the right reason, it's a beautiful way to actually be that shining city on the hill. And it attracts the right kind of attention to our wonderful Lord and Savior. You know, there's so much negative about the church in the news. They never miss a chance to talk about a fallen pastor or a financial scandal or any, any other thing that, that may have gone wrong. And this is our chance to shine the light of Christ brightly for this dark and dreary world. It softens hearts and opens minds to wonder what he is really all about. Either way, whether or not people ever notice that we do in the way, or what we do in the way of good deeds for others, God sees us. He sees us giving, helping, caring, teaching, leading, sharing. We have to remember his eyes never miss a moment of our lives. 
And we have to constantly remind ourselves that our true reward will eventually come from the Lord. So don't make the foolish mistake of choosing to cash it in today, trying to gain respectability, status, or attention by taking the credit for yourself. Every good thing we do for others builds up our eventual treasure in heaven, and that pleases Jesus, and that is all the reward we will ever need. Excuse me just a moment. I drank way too much coffee this morning. I have a dry throat. Next, Jesus uses basically the same spiritual reasoning on the subject of prayer. And again, he begins by using the word hypocrites, warning us not to be like them. In Matthew 6, 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father, who sees everything, will reward you. The word hypocrite was originally used to describe an actor on a stage, and it, it meant a person wearing a mask, pretending to be someone else in order to tell a story. I know, we very often hear, the church is so full of hypocrites. And I'm here to tell you, that is true. So are our schools, our businesses, our governments, our neighborhoods, our families. Most of us, by the common understanding of the term, are hypocrites. If it means we don't constantly practice what we preach, then every one of us are guilty. But to Jesus in this context, a hypocrite is not a person who falls short of high ideals or occasionally since all of us experience these failures. In his use of the word hypocrite, Jesus is talking about those who deliberately use religion to cover up sins in order to promote our own gain. Remember again, way back earlier, weeks ago in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus said that our righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. The people of the day heard that and they thought, that's impossible. He's making it absolutely impossible for us to get into the kingdom of heaven. No, not at all. Jesus knew the true righteousness of the Pharisees, and it was insincere and dishonest. Their displays of religion were hypocritical because they did it for the applause of men, not the approval of the Lord and His eventual reward. And certainly not because they desired to possess the righteousness of God's kingdom. It was all an outward act, a religious mask that covered up their selfish, greedy hearts. In my study for this message, I was interested to learn that Jesus is the only one to use the word hypocrite anywhere in New Testament scriptures. And by using it 17 different times while he taught, Jesus alone brought it into the widespread understanding of the moral character or lack of it it represents throughout the world that continues to this very day. He did this to help us understand his huge emphasis on the moral significance of our inner heart before God. Our spiritual heart is who we really are 
And, and Jesus went to great lengths to show the unmistakable differences between what we want to show to the world and who we really are to God. He repeatedly warns us against acting religious or pious or sincere when our true feelings are otherwise. It came to mean someone who is being deceitful, not on stage, but in real life. And sadly, even in church, some pretend to be something they're not. Their motivation is to raise their public standing by looking good to others. It often works with people, but it's useless to try to fool God. Jesus helped the people of that day recognize that most of the religious behavior of that time was a sham, a false front. And I'm sad to say that a lot of that still goes on today, and we need to examine ourselves. We can't point the finger at others. We each need to look deeply in the mirror, deeply into our hearts. You know, prayer is the most intimate contact we can possibly have with our Creator. It's designed to be a private, honest conversation, not a public spectacle with flowery words to make us look or feel good. And Bible commentator William McDonald says, no one should purposely position themselves in public areas so that others will see them praying and be impressed by their piety. If the love for prominence is the only motive in prayer, then Jesus declares that prominence gained is the only reward. But again, please understand that is not a prohibition against public prayer. The point Jesus makes is not about where we pray, but why we pray. Is our goal to be seen by people or to be heard by God? I have very often benefited from hearing others pray out loud in church or other public gatherings. I've had the honor of being invited to pray at public events, even in our state capital. And I say honor very uh, cautiously because, again, all the honor, all the glory goes to God and Jesus. It's amazing. It cracks me up that someone like me could even be invited to pray at a public event like the inauguration of Governor Susana Martinez or the opening day of the state legislature or the governor's prayer breakfast for our, our current governor or a, a community-wide gathering of business leadings or, uh, leaders or, or, or a, a class reunion. But it's happened, and, and it cracks me up. It's like, whoa, this doesn't make sense, Lord. I'm so unqualified. I'm so unprepared, but I'm so incredibly grateful. And so believe me when I say I have to put a lot of thought and prayer into exactly what I want and need to pray, but impressing other people is nowhere on that list. And please, for you, if you are ever offered the opportunity to pray publicly, look at that as a special gift from God. And be sure you do Him right. Give Him the honor and the glory He deserves. And never worry about what you sound like to others. Never even think about trying to impress someone else. And never hesitate to use and pray in the name of Jesus. I can't tell you how many times at events like that, I've always gotten the, oh, well, you know, and I, you know, we know you're Christian, but please don't mention Jesus. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, I slipped again. <laughs> but the bulk of our communication with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit should be done privately. 
Take the time every single day to hide yourself away and pray. Your quiet time with Jesus in, 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 in solitude is in itself a great reward and the best way to grow your personal relationship with the Lord. Next, in Matthew 6, 7, Jesus said, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. So Jesus is giving an example of those who do it wrong and warns us not to copy their practices. He clearly says babbling on and on or repeating words over and over is absolutely useless, specifically saying not to do so. Yet, I've been to many funerals and worship services where certain prayers or phrases are repeated again and again and again for long stretches of time, and it perplexes me why any Christian leader would teach or direct these practices when Jesus says so clearly that we shouldn't. He says mindless repetition adds nothing to our request, so why would we purposely practice something the Lord tells us not to do? Now, just to be clear, Jesus is not saying it's wrong to ask God for something again and again. We see biblical examples of godly people doing that. What bothers him is the senseless repeating of words over and over like a mantra without feeling them or even thinking about what we're saying. Jesus explains, our Father already knows what we need before we even ask, so it's natural to wonder why should we even pray at all in the first place. Because prayer is acknowledging our dependence on the Lord and our need for Him. It's the basis of all our communication with God. And we also know that God does things in answer to prayer that He would not do otherwise. Again, we see many examples of that in Scripture. But don't you dare go into prayer thinking you know better than the Lord does or that you're going to change his mind. You might. It happened a time or two in Scripture. But the greatest thing about sharing our hearts with Jesus in prayer is that praying doesn't change God. It changes us. All God desires from our prayers is sincere communication that shares what is on our heart and asks him to share his heart, his intent, his will with us. Jesus then goes from negative examples of prayer to an extremely positive and beautiful one. In verse 9, Jesus said, pray like this. And I, I'm betting that most of you know this so well that you can say it out loud with me, and I hope that you will. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Very often we add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's not in all your Bibles because there's evidence. Jesus probably didn't say that, but it was added in later on. It's still a beautiful way to pray. We've said it that prayer so often over the years, it's burned into our memory and we can recite it at a moment's notice. And that's proof you actually can memorize Scripture, so don't tell me you can't do that, okay? Most of us call it the Lord's Prayer, right? A, a lot of people call it the Our Father. That one cracks me up, but oh well. It's a wonderful example of what our prayers 
should be like. It gives us this beautiful idea of what we should say and how we should say it. But nowhere did Jesus tell us to memorize this exactly and pray it only in this way. It's a, it's a guideline. It's, it's a skeleton. It's a map. And more correctly, it should be called the disciples' prayer. He gave it to them as an example of how they, and through transfer, us, should, could pray for powerful, effective communication with God. I apologize that we don't have the time today to give this amazing prayer all the attention it needs and deserves. I've heard complete sermons on, on this, even a series of teachings, and I pray that this church would have time to do something in depth on this very passage sometime in the near future. But let's run through a couple of the highlights. First and foremost, Jesus again never told us to memorize this prayer and say it exactly the same way, using exactly the same words each and every time. He never said, pray these words over and over every time. He said, pray this way. Meaning, in this style, in this basic form, this is Jesus saying, hey, here are some key important things you should include very often in your prayer time. The prayer is designed to be a model, an outline. We're to think of this as a framework that we can build on in our ongoing communication with God the Father, and that's where we start. Prayer should be addressed to God the Father as we acknowledge that He is sovereign. He is in control of the entire universe. Hallowed, name we don't use anymore. Holy is your name. All our prayers should include worship and praise, letting God know we understand He is completely worthy of all honor and obedience. Your kingdom come. After we acknowledge His power and worship His name, we need to pray for His kingdom and the advancement of His cause, always putting His desires first. This is a reminder that we should specifically pray for that day when Jesus Christ will return to the earth to set up His eternal kingdom. Lord, come soon. Your will be done. This is where we acknowledge that Father God knows best. Not us. We suppress our will in favor of His and express our desire for the Lord to have His way. Thy will, not my will. Simple little rhyme. We don't use the word thy much more, but it helps me remember and I encourage you to pray that all the time. Thy will, Lord, not my will. On earth as it is in heaven. This acknowledges that God's already in control of the heavens. And we pray that these conditions will also soon exist on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice all the other things we pray about to God before we ask for anything for ourselves. Now, a lot of people are loath to ask anything for themselves. And that's not right. That's prideful. God loves us to come to Him and ask for things that we need. Not necessarily what we want, but what we need. But He comes first. The King is always served first. The servants are willing to wait. And this verse shows that we recognize we are totally dependent on Him for our daily needs from food and drink to physical and spiritual. Isn't it amazing that here in the middle of this desert, we have water to drink and to bathe in? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, this is not about the forgiveness from the penalty of sin. That comes only through faith in Jesus 
as the Son of God, our personal Lord and Savior. This verse reminds us of our strong desire and overwhelming need for his, we'll call it parental forgiveness, that is necessary if fellowship with the Father is going to be maintained. If we're not willing to forgive those who have done wrong by us, we can't expect to be in fellowship with God who has freely forgiven us for the many sinful things we have done wrong to Him and to others. And verse 13, And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Scripture teaches God never tempts anyone, but it also shows us that He does allow us to be tested and tried. And it's a healthy reminder of our own ability to resist those trials and temptations. It simply shows that we are completely dependent on Jesus to keep us safe from falling into those traps. But deliver us from evil. That's a reminder of, for me at least, and I imagine for you, a desperate daily desire to be kept away from, protected from sin simply through the presence of the Holy Spirit actively participating every step of the way, every day in our lives. It's our heart crying out to Jesus to protect us from the overwhelming power of sin and temptation that Satan fires into our life again and again. And it, it shows that Jesus is our protector and believer, uh, deliverer. As, as I, I, I mime a little shoot, shooting a fiery arrow that Scripture says are constantly pointed in our direction. Just hoping that one will hit the mark and, and start a blaze. Even just a little fire, just a little burn. Now, to go back over and to be clear, there's absolutely nothing wrong with memorizing the Lord's Prayer, if you want to call it that. But when you're saying it, please be careful to make sure you're actually praying it. Think about what it says and what it means. And don't you dare rush through it carelessly. I've been at church services where I've heard, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and kingdom the will be done. Like, I've I got to get out of here. The football game starts in 10 minutes. That is so incredibly thoughtless and disrespectful. This prayer comes directly from the Lord to us as a guideline, as a gift. We need to put our heart into it and say it from memory. And verse 14 in the Sermon on the Mount, is not part of the prayer, but Jesus obviously felt the line about forgiveness in the prayer was so important that he needed to repeat it right away. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I, as your Christian brother and friend, remind you of its importance again, just as Jesus did. And you know, there are several other places in Scripture where Jesus says the same thing. And if he says something even once, we should pay attention. But he repeats it here and in other Scriptures. And it has special significance in our eternal existence. We have to forgive others, all others, regardless of what they've done so that we can receive our own forgiveness from God's Holy Son. 
And I apologize for including one more section of Scripture, but this all ties together. And I, I don't feel right leaving it for next time. And why would we want to pass up another chance to talk about the group I'm now calling the hippos, the hypocrites? Matthew 6, 18, 16, excuse me. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Another wonderful example of doing it wrong as an exercise in exhibitionism, hoping to gain status and respectability with others. Oh, you look horrible. Isn't it great? You're so good and godly. Looks like you probably lost a pound or two, too. How great. Contrasted with something that is beautiful and right in God's sight. Fasting alone before God. An audience of one. And make no mistake, fasting is a good thing, both physically and spiritually. Now, it's not required, but it should be desired. And like the prayer we just talked about, fasting really deserves an entire lesson on just this one subject, but there's not time today. In two different places, Jesus referred to the Word of God as literal food for the soul. Real quick, do you remember where? With Satan. In Matthew 4.4, 4, man does not live by bread alone when Satan was trying to talk him into changing the stones into bread. And uh, after the woman at the well, when the disciples came back and were worried that Jesus had not eaten when he said, I have bread that you do not know about. And he was actually quoting the Old Testament scripture in Deuteronomy 8. People do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's why we refer very often to feeding on the Word. That's the kind of feeding we need to do every day of our lives. Whether it's through time in the Bible, listening to Christian music, listening to pastors on the radio, going to Bible studies, having an accountability partner, whatever it is. Fasting is a powerful way to become more like Jesus only when we do it for the right reasons. It's all about having the kingdom heart, striving to do something that will draw us closer to God. Whining and complaining about how tired or hungry we are, or how terrible we feel, or making ourselves look like we're miserable is useless, and it takes away the value, the advantage we gain from fasting for the Lord. Do it in a way that pleases Jesus, and God, your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, every time in this series I've tried to stress these are not new laws. This is in no way Jesus trying to make God more difficult to follow. It's not our Lord putting up even more obstacles and roadblocks on the narrow path that leads to eternal life in heaven. These are just illustrations. Jesus uses them. He's drawing a word picture of everyday human interactions to help us understand the original meaning of the law when it was written. But man took it and twisted it and changed the intent. And it became all about the show, all about what we look like on the outside. And this is our Lord and Savior showing us that it's not at all about how we seem to the world, but what our inner being looks like to God 
our creator. He sees all things. He knows our heart. And Jesus teaches us that our heart is the most important part of what God desires in our lives. This has been such an education for me to go through this. I thank David Atkins for suggesting this a long time ago. And it has helped me tremendously. I hope it has done and will do the same for you. That we can hear these words and look at what God wants us to know. What he means through these scriptures and how it applies to us. Maybe you're, you're sitting there going, gosh, I've heard this so many times, I know this, Steve. Good. That's an understanding that you're well along the path to being where God wants you to be. And you have the responsibility to try and share it with others. Maybe you've heard it 10 times, but in some way, one of these days, something came out a little bit different or it gave you an idea to, to look at it in a new way. That's God revealing things to you. And it's very powerfully important. But again, it doesn't do us one bit of good if we keep it in our head and don't transfer it to our heart. And if it's truly in our heart, it'll come out in our actions. We like to say, through our hands and feet, through our daily walk. Talking about Jesus is important but it doesn't do any good to talk the talk if we don't walk the walk. And I know those are all recent Christian cliches, but they're important if we think of them in the right way. And look at your neighbors, look at your family, look at your coworkers. How long has it been since you tried to share anything about the Lord with them? It can be very casual. It can be done in a very friendly way. It could be something like, man, I, I really got something from God at church the other day in spite of this idiot that was up there teaching. It can be that, hey, you know, um, we're having a picnic next week or, gosh, we've got a new children's director and I'm really excited about what she's doing. What are your kids doing on Sunday? My mom all the time used to take the neighbor kids to church when I was little. Don't pass up the opportunity to take these things and put them into not just your life, but the lives of others that God puts in your path. It is not an accident that they are there. There are no coincidences in our walk with Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Great and mighty God, thank you for your presence in this room this morning through your Holy Spirit. It's amazing that we can have a room with hundreds of people, many, many more listening through technology and one message can hit so many different people in so many different ways and Father God I pray that despite my personal inadequacy and insignificance that you are here speaking to all of us through the words that you spoke 2,000 years ago that were written that were preserved for us through countless dictators and regimes who did everything in their power to burn, to destroy, to lock up your word, to keep it away from us, Lord. But it's here, and it's available, and it's freely 
available for anyone who wants it. Lord, don't let us waste this tremendous gift, this eternal treasure that is your love letter to us, your guideline for who we should be. Let us use it, Lord, as a textbook and as a love letter to guide us each and every step of our way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.